Welcome to the After Party with the Sober Capes, where anything goes. Come hang out with us every Thursday, Thursday, while we sip our favorite booze-free beverage and talk candidly about our lives and sobriety and our party girl pasts. And let's get the after party started. Welcome to episode 43 of the after party. I'm your co-host, Big Kate. And I am your other co-host, Little Kate. Today, we will be chatting about a couple different things. Um, Catalysts. Picture-perfect performative sobriety. And some other stuff. So let's get the party (laughs) started. (laughs) What are you drinking over there? I'm drinking um, an after-party classic, Health Aid Ginger Lemon Kombucha. Yum. Again. It, it with the late caffeine for me, but that's okay. Did you know it was recently World Kombucha Day? What? Yeah, we messed up. Ugh, I miss all the days. And it's funny because on World Kombucha Day, I had a healthy lemon ginger in my cart when I was food shopping and I took it out because I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> um, and then later Derek told me it was World Kombucha Day. I was like, oh. Like I missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity to post. What are you drinking? It looks like a crazy can you have there. It is. For Valentine's Day, I was gifted the Hoplark Hop Tea Limited Edition. It's called the Bloody Good One. It's nice and gory with a zombie hand on it. Is it blood orange? Yeah. And it has some really cool designs on it as well. And it is blood orange juice, uh, black tea. So I'm also on this caffeine, late caffeine. Thanks. I don't sleep anyway, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> and then Simcoe and Citra hops. Does it taste extra hoppy? No, the hoppiness level on this one is quite. Quiet or quite? Quite. Quite hoppy. Oh, I thought it was like quiet happiness. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that happy compared to like some of the other stuff that I drink, but it's really good. Yeah. I asked you if it was happy and you said, no, the hop level is quite. So I thought you misread as quiet. To me, it is not happy. Oh. <laughs> so what's going on with you? I mean, I guess our little catch up this week is going to be the same. Yeah, not much is going on with me. So we were both recently this week interviewed on the Omar Punto coaching podcast. Yeah, it was last week, I think. For you, but this week for me. Yes. Yeah, and it was... What was your experience? What was it like being on the other side of the microphone? Well, it's weird because we're usually a package deal. Yeah. So this was like telling our own story like on our own we each had our separate episode so it was really weird to go back and talk about like the beginnings of my drinking career and how it all started how it made me feel Um, we got into some like old memories but it's weird to revisit those times because it I feel so disconnected from them at this point now that it doesn't even feel like I can't I can remember the memories but I can't feel what I was going through 
what was associated with those memories at that time. So I feel like I'm just telling somebody else's story at this point. Yeah. Well, that makes complete sense because it's like, oh, said to me is during that time you were numbing yourself. So you weren't feeling anything. So there's not really much to remember. Right. We do have a lot of memories, but yeah, there's not many like feelings attached to them. Right. It's just like some things are, we're able to look back and be like, that was funny. That was stupid. (laughs) That was cringy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't, I don't like, it doesn't transport me back to that time and like to know exactly what I was feeling and feel those same emotions. I can speak on it, but it's like a whole different time of my life. I couldn't tell you, you know, about the feelings. And then also too, yeah, it just feels like it is weird now, even though it's only been four years to talk about and remember that person, mm-hmm. especially because I used to be blonde. <laughs> sure. And so I was like literally a different person, which is great. But I don't think either of the us are those people anymore. So it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's like reading my own eulogy pretty much. And we don't do that much on here anymore. Like talk about past stories or our drinking days as much, but I guess that's why we're here. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I mean, we wouldn't be the sober Kates unless we got, we were the drunk Kates first, the party Kates. Although in the interview and, you know, telling my story and my background, Oh, connected that we both, we became friends because we were both, you know, pressured to be athletes by our fathers. That's true. And we didn't want to be, or I don't know if you did, but (laughs) I would have liked to be in like my own right, I think. Yes. Trust me. I didn't, all the sports I played, I wasn't by choice. It was by force. (laughs) Right. And like, I wasn't good at any sports, (laughs) just running. Yeah. And then like, but it was like expected to be like the best. And I, like my dad used to call the um, track, the social club. And, you know, I was, I was actually pretty good, but, but I wasn't the best on the team. So. Yeah. And I have a natural <sighs> talent for a lot of sports. So I was pushed even harder. Yeah. Pressure. You could have been a professional athlete, I guess. Uh, what what women's professional sports are there golf and basketball yeah swimming maybe no yeah the olympics i would have had it been in the there's there's i think that like there's also like professional sports and for all women but i don't think that they're on tv yeah that's true (laughs) i'm sorry if i offended anybody that if you're a professional badminton player send a dm Tell me off. Tell me where your league is and what channel I can find you on. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty rad, so. Yeah, I think we did have a very quick connection just because of our background and circumstances. Yep. And we were two caged little birds that wanted to sing. Oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. (laughs) So my experience on the podcast was... And this is something we're going to talk about more later. Like looking back, it kind of felt like not shame. 
I can't really describe it, but kind of like the feeling that you get with like a vulnerability hangover. Mm-hmm. And afterwards you're just like, oh shit, like I, I shared too much or maybe I didn't share in a way that was authentic to myself, which can be seen as performative. Right. And that's what it felt like. It felt like I kind of was like my old performative self or I was just like, I, this is what I think people want me to be like. Um, and like, I don't know if it's like funny or like badass, or I just like have like this wall up where it's like, I'm cool. Yeah. So I think people just don't know that you are just like very laid back most of the time like that. Yeah. And sometimes it comes off like, I don't give a fuck. Oh, I always say I have resting board face. (laughs) Resting bitch face. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) I totally do. People, I I hate it actually, because people are always commenting like, cheer up or uh, like, oh my God, you're so bored. Like, why aren't you working or doing anything? So I'm just like sitting there on my computer. Like, (laughs) you're like, I am, I'm I'm totally being productive right now. Yeah. It's because like everything lives inside my head. So there's like no energy to make any facial expressions. Yeah. I think we've had a text before, like interviewing and you're like, does it look like I'm bored or something? I was like, yes. Like just put a little smile on your face just one time. Hey, don't tell me to smile. Hey, I know, but when we're on Zoom video call. Um. So yeah, that was, that's what happened with that. And so if you ever listened to it, I think it's coming out in April and you know, I don't know why I acted like that. It just came out of me. Well, first of all, I was very nervous. I'm very nervous to talk to to anyone about sobriety because of what we're going to talk about today, like the performative sobriety, but also the aspect of like I'm like, why the heck am I going on this show? Like, I don't have anything cool to talk about or like, I'm, I feel like I'm generic and boring in my sobriety story. And by the end of it, I was like, was that okay? Like, I kind of blacked out everything. Like, what did I even say? Like, was that worth it? Same, yeah. You can cut the episode if you want. <laughs> just scratch it. We're just two white, mid 30s suburban married women. Oh God. <laughs> Oh my God, the way you just described us out loud, just childless too. Oh God. Well, I have a stepson, but I, I might consider getting a cat. There you go. You have a dog. So. Yeah, I do have a dog. We have a lot to offer the world. <laughs> I do. Have, we have a lot of white and gray hair. There we go. <laughs> um, so on the podcast, I talked a lot of shit on my family and I feel really bad about it um just because like you know none of it was it's just I love my parents no matter how I was raised and you know even that that's very codependent of me and you know I'm very deep in my codependency right now uh, but I do love them and I I know that they raised me with the best that they could do and Right. I don't, yeah. I don't, I, don't wanna... I know I talk about it a lot, but you know, I don't have like, I mean, I do have some anger towards them, <laughs> but, and that's my topic of therapy every week, but still <laughs> I love my parents. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone's doubting the love, but that doesn't mean 
that you can't feel validated in the way you're feeling. Right. It's just some serious enmeshment. So, yeah. And that's, gosh, this is going to be awful to say, but I'm, I'm like in the same boat, but like, that's how we were raised as well. Like we should feel bad if we say anything bad about the situation. Yeah, definitely. Or just kind of made to feel bad if we said anything. Right. Like I was talking to my dad this week about the podcast and he doesn't listen. He's like, oh, I would never listen. He's like, do you talk about me? And I'm like, see, there you go. You're, you don't want to listen because you're afraid of what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Yep. I think only one of my parents knows about it. And also, so. I don't want to hear. I don't want him to hear me talk about penises and cocaine. Dicks and coke. Dicks and sticks. That was the life. Daddy, right. that was my life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was. That was All right, let's get Just into kidding. the next topic. It's time for a story from Big Kate. Okay. So if you were listening last week and you heard my health issues, I have an update on that. But first, I want to start with this weirdness. So my sobriety story starts with, you know, well, not starts with, ends with. Me having about six months of fucking awful craziness, um, blackouts and such, and uh, accumulating in a last week um, in Key West. Before I had gone to Key West, I knew that I was going to quit, but classic, I wasn't going to quit before I was going on vacation. Like It was like a wild weekend, and then I was leaving on that Tuesday to go to Key West. I was like, you know what, when I go home, mm-hmm. I'll get sober. And I did. And that's, you know, March 27th or March 26th. I had my last drink ever. Bloody Mary, half of it in the Key West airport. And as soon as I went down into the airport terminal, I started listening to sobriety podcasts. And here I am uh, almost four years later. Basically, the same thing happened with me. I'm sober, but it's I'm kind of in recovery, I guess, from something else. And what that is, is I, and I've talked about this a lot too. So for the last year and a half, probably, I have been traveling. I have, and ever since then, I, you know, being away from my husband, COVID, you know, I don't have to explain all that stuff to you, but you all know that I have a tendency or I have a problem with overeating and I have a problem with eating my feelings and I have basically a food addiction where I will eat until I am so full. And, you know, being on the road, that's lonely. Being away from my beloved, that's lonely. COVID, lonely. And... I was doing that a lot over the last year and a half. I wasn't exercising at all. And, you know, last or two weeks ago, I was in Key West again. And I never said anything because I didn't want to get travel shamed. (laughs) But while I was there, of course, you know, I'm sticking with my classic addict behavior, doing everything overindulging until I absolutely have to not do it anymore. And I 
you know, I was just enjoying myself because before, like now that I'm home, I started kind of like mindful eating and like stopping when I'm full, but still, you know, I was on vacation-ish. So I was going to enjoy the great meals that I was having. Mm-hmm. And then one night I woke up with pain so bad in my stomach that I almost took myself to the hospital. I was like, oh, this feels like a stomach ulcer or something. And then I went to, then I, I kind of got rid of it, I guess. And then on my way home from the airport, as you may know, I threw up all over myself, like violently, like while I was driving, had to pull over, was in so much pain. Thankfully, I had a doctor's appointment the next day and I had an ultrasound. And what the ultrasound showed me was that I have fat on my liver. And all I could think about to myself was, holy shit, Key West does it again. And now like my liver is still fucked after four years of sobriety. I also had some blood work done recently too that showed the same thing that I have some liver issues going on. And you text me that, how ironic. Yeah. How ironic is it that like, you know, I stopped drinking, but really this, my other addiction that replaced drinking for me has taken over or took over to the point where I'm Key West again and I have to stop eating the way that I am forcefully by my body. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess I'm on the road to recovery. Um, so it's lifestyle a, again. Yeah, it's like almost four years later and now you have to reevaluate again because I know a lot of people and I was included like, once you get sober, you feel like, okay, I'm the epitome of health. Now I can do whatever I want. Or like we always say, like, I wasn't, I love sweets, but if I was drinking, I wasn't going to like get dessert, but now it's like a must. And it's like, well, I'm not drinking. So I'm going to treat myself. Right. And that was the thing too. Like even before I started traveling, like my Friday nights would be Whole Foods, hot bar and like a pint of ice cream or like one or the other, I guess I think it was. And then eventually I just had the pint of ice cream every Friday night, but I'm just like, yeah, you just think that you can treat yourself and you definitely should, but don't do it in excess and make sure that like, you know, food is definitely the, I mean, not to be dismissive, but it's the hardest addiction because you have to eat. Right. And it's so readily available and there's so many varieties and it's like you can, you can order it from your phone. You can go to the grocery store. You can go anywhere and there's food. It's in your house. Yeah. So now I am eating pretty clean, mostly plant-based. We'll see what happens this weekend because I have made a bunch of plans to meet up with people uh, before I leave for Canada. So well, how long are you going to Canada for? Three months. Three months? Yeah. You didn't tell me three months. Till the end of um, May, probably. Maybe longer. Oh, my gosh. Okay. See ya. (laughs) I'll see you later. (laughs) 
carry on. And well, it might be so much easier though in Canada as well, because you'll have like an accountability partner. Right. And that's another thing too. Um, starting the beginning of the year, I don't know why we never did this before, but me and my husband started working out together. Like we were in together at the beginning of the year, but now we do it virtually. Mm-hmm. And I like, I need someone to work out with. Like, yeah. Like when we went to the gym all the time and like, I, I just don't do it by myself. So, and I yeah, don't or, like, or when it's like by yourself, you can like half-ass it and be like, was that 10 reps? And it was like six and you're like, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the worst. So I need a workout buddy. And that is him. And I wish we had started that earlier. But well, you're starting it now. There's, there's always time to heal and change. That's true. And you're on a good path now. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. All right. So our main topic of the evening, Hour. morning, whatever time of day you're listening to this is now forgive me because this is going to sound <laughs> like some sort of woke buzzword shit, but I don't know what else to call it. And we're not attacking anybody and we're not like shaming anybody. It's just trends that we see that we're speaking on. In the sober community. And by community, it's just Instagram because <laughs> that's what it is. So there seems to be something that the only thing I know to call it is performative sobriety. And I think we've talked about performative vulnerability before. Yeah, being vulnerable for vulnerability's sake, like, yeah, it's and not authentic. T- right. And we have talked about, too, how, you know, there is just, like, this outpouring of feels like of these specifically curated Instagram accounts that are so pink and beautiful and... You know, they don't really even really have that much content in them but it's just cute I guess I don't know yeah and previously I had spoken and said that I was not a fan of these because I'm depressive aggressive and I think that you know people should be real about what their sober sober journey And now I'm kind of realizing that it doesn't matter um, because everybody's sober journey is different. And, you know, if that's, and just all around Instagram is performative. So I'm not going to sit here and judge someone's pink and sparkly Instagram account and say like, they're only like half sober or something. I don't know. And be like, we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. You know, I don't, you know, pay enough attention to it either to be like, um, you know, I don't read like every of their posts and stuff like that. So I just don't think that it's a place for me to judge anymore. And I think that was just because like my own sobriety journey was dark and Mm -hmm. stormy (laughs) and, um, you know, it's weird for me to see this but you know there's so many people and especially younger and younger that are getting sober and I think that like 
maybe part of like the also like the Gen Z. Um, now I sound like an old timer, but part of the Gen Z you know, Instagram sober community, that's what it is. And they're just maybe more creative than me. And they're just getting sober because they don't like alcohol. Um, you know, that they're not going to identify as addicts or, you know, um, or I think that they identify as sober, but. Yeah. And I think that like the whole point of Instagram is little snippets and you're really just marketing yourself. It's one big marketing platform. So it's almost like as a whole Instagram and society, whatnot, they've almost forced people into having this beautiful display that you have one second to catch someone's attention. And I'm going to admit those beautifully curated pages, they're eye-catching. And I'm more prone to say on that than prone to staying on somebody's profile that's just like regular pictures with a regular caption which is just ours <laughs> right and I honestly like I have thought about like how am I going to keep up with this and like I wish that I could be that creative and like I just don't have the time for it but right I think part of it too is like when you immediately see something and react to it in like a negative way like I that doesn't seem authentic to me. It's like, is a mirror back to yourself? Cause like, I sometimes think that, but I'm like, okay, I don't have the creative ability right now or time to like curate something and look that pretty. But if like, if our page looked like that, I would, yeah, be very proud and like flashing it around like that. Oh, yeah. So, but even like today, people's vulnerability has to be curated. It's not a platform where you just go on and do like a 10 second clip of yourself, like being the most vulnerable. So even like people's vulnerability has to be planned and posted and scheduled and all that. And it's just, it's just the reality we live in. Yeah. Uh, it's a business and it's interesting to me how it's become that way because it's sobriety. It's something that's been around for forever it's something that people have needed for a long time so why are all these like I read all this stuff it's like and I've read it too because obviously we have an Instagram account and podcast and we want to be heard but at the same time it's like well like why do I have to start doing reels now so that like more people see my page and like what does that even mean if more people see my page do I just want to connect with the people that are going to connect with me and by fate find my page or I want to make sure that I'm out there, I'm loud, everyone's looking at my page and like, what does, what does that get for me? And like, well, I don't have, I don't think, I don't mean it like, what does it do for me? I mean, like internally and soulfully, like, what am I doing? Well, I think that like we have the page just to reach whatever person it's going to resonate with. And at this point, we don't care how they find our page. Um, but for so long, sobriety has been such a taboo word and like a dirty word almost that now it's just like poking its head into the mainstream. So it's like on news segments, we see it on other people's accounts. Famous people are coming out. So it's more of like a pop culture mainstream thing right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is amazing. Right. It's amazing, but it's forcing everybody to like 
wrap it up in a little bow and present it and almost like keep up with the, I think a lot of people are focused on not making it a trend. So we have to serve it up on a silver platter and say, look at all these resources, look at all these accounts, have your choice. It's not just a, a buzzword. It's not just a fad. We've been here. So it's, I mean, it's like with any business though, if, if, if I decided to make devil sticks again, I don't know why that just popped in my head, but if I decided to just like make devil sticks again and market it, yeah, if someone mentions devil sticks on the news, you bet I'm going to have the best devil stick site anyone can find Yeah, to try to promote that. And I'm not going to be like, I'm selling out devil sticks are for the real cool kids. Like, no, like, why am I here if I don't want to spread the word on devil sticks? You guys right. don't know what devil sticks are. Just <laughs> Google, just Google it. it. I was the queen of the devil sticks. So, okay, yes. So sobriety should be promoted. It's amazing. I always say it's the best kept secret. But should sobriety be a business? Yes. Yes. The wellness industry makes billions of dollars a year on everything from lip plumpers, face creams, uh, booty blaster bands, anything that you can name, like people are profiting off of. So for the people that are dedicating their life and their career to sobriety, your time is your biggest commodity. It's your biggest resource. And that is, if you're offering up your your knowledge, your services, you're good at your service, even if you're providing sober coaching or sober help or sober program, you deserve to be compensated for that. That's the energy exchange in the universe. You're just saying that I am deserving of this rate. This is what I am worth. And this is what I'm dedicating my life and time to. So I should be compensated in that way. Capitalism. Everyone's got to eat. So the thing is, though, for me, booty blasting and, you know, sobriety is a bit more serious than booty blasting. Okay. I get sobriety as a wellness trend. Mm -hmm. That's fine if that's why you're getting sober. But I don't think that, you know, obviously if people are willing to pay, then, you know, more power to you. But I don't think that sobriety should be something that should be like marketed and um, profited off of and charged out the fucking ass for. So I, and like, even if it's like, maybe you don't make it like sobriety focus. I don't know. And like, are these the people too, like I, I haven't done enough research on this to say, like, are they certified in anything? Is it just, well, this is how I got sober. So pay me and I'll tell you, you know, I fell to that, you know, after I had gotten sober, I did um, sign up for one of those like six week new sober people programs and it was $400. Like that is just yeah, crazy to me. It's a lot of money. You know, most people don't have that kind of money. And that to me is just saying like, well, only people that have money can get sober. Um, and like, yes, I do think that like people's experiences and, you know, 
time is worth money. But I think in the sobriety aspect that it's just, it's really like a hard kind of cringy line where it's like, should you be profiting off of people that like might be in like near death situations? And just cause you got like a sober coaching thing online or cause you're sober too? Um, I see where you're coming from. I do have to make the argument too, because I see it in the same wavelength almost as therapy. So I was um, recommended to a therapist who really helps with grief and trauma and came highly recommended and, you know, went through a couple people and they thought that he would be the best for me. And I come to find out it was $200 a session. And he said, you could, you should come at least once a week. Now I don't have $800 to spend on overcoming grief and trauma, but, bullshit, though. but he charges that much because that's the level that he's reaching. So he comes so renowned because he's helped so many people that his value goes up incrementally. Well, I hope I, he has a sliding scale. Well, I, he then suggested me to somebody who also would be of help that would accept my insurance. So it was $20 copay each session, which is doable for me. But it's, I think it's the same in like the sober community that there's a lot of resources that are free. There's a lot of resources that like this naked mind that cost what, like $99 for how long is the hundred day, hundred day program. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's literally less than $1 a day. Yeah. But there's going to be all these sliding scales and um, different extremes and outliers because sobriety, if it wasn't marketable as a business, everybody would be sober. But it is something that a lot of people do need help with. It's the same, like, like an impressionist. Yeah, exactly. It's something that people struggle with. And it's not just about this is how I got sober. It's about giving tips and tools and ways to restructure the habits in the mind. And it's about accountability. Like you really have an accountability partner. That's why people pay personal trainers. Like you can look up workouts on YouTube, but if you need that accountability and someone there cheering you on, people pay a lot of money to help get their body well. That's just my my outlook on it. I will say that the program that I did that was $400, I actually ended up not doing because I guess there was a lot of like mental deep diving that I was not in a place to do at that time. And I think that the person that was running the program should have probably reached out to me like, what, you know, why aren't you participating in this at all? Right. It was a small group, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's things like, like that, that if it's on such a small scale. Like it's just straight profit. You're like, are you, who are you right. helping? Right. Especially if it's a sobriety program, they should at least be like, Hey, are you okay? Like, do you want your money back or are you struggling or do you are feel you like just it not into sharing or what? Yeah. Do we need to do a one-on-one? Yeah. 
like for four hundred dollars, <laughs> I should be getting something. And I, I think that I, that was a, I honestly think that that was a scholarship too. I think it might have been eight hundred dollars. Stop. Yeah. <sighs> so look it up right now. I don't think they put their prices online. So if you're considering one of these programs, say if you've tried everything to get sober and like you can't do it on your own, that is fully acceptable. You aren't interested in the free resources like AA, Smart Recovery, Refuge Recovery. Yeah, there is some amazing, great resources, free resources out there. Yes. Yes, there's a lot of resources, especially even on Instagram. You could just find a lot of people that have similar programs that are life coaches, sober coaches that are at um, a lower rate. But it's just with with any type of business, you're going to have a sliding scale of yeah. fees. And if people are dedicating their life to make this a career. I just want to make sure that they're genuinely helping people. Is that fair enough? Yes, but I mean, how do we, how do we even like measure that? I don't know. Sincerity. Google reviews. Are there no Google reviews? I don't know. Getting deep in this. (laughs) Yeah. And my other last point on performative sobriety is that I think that you know, myself included, just stop calling people out for being sober influencers and being like not identifying as an addict or not thinking that addiction isn't a disease. And um, I saw like some people like calling out to all the influencers, like how they want to talk about sobriety, but no, they refuse to talk about harm reduction, which makes them like less sober somehow so everybody's sobriety journey is different yeah I think it's a lot of people especially online we've talked about this before get really courageous behind their keyboard and guess what it's not your it's not your page so myob also too also too I barely we barely post on our Instagram we could be out there being like social justice warriors fighting for against drug policies and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe we're just not interested in the performative aspect of it. Right. Or social media or like, you don't know, nobody knows what our lives are like. If you're doing it for social media, then. Then you're wrong. (laughs) Then you, you know, I just, That's, we've talked about this so much. And That's I just, it. Yeah. yeah. That's our thoughts. The performative nature of social media. It's just fucking, don't believe everything that you see, good or bad. Right. It's going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt until they post some really shitty shit. Right. So slide into our DMs. Tell us what you want us to start posting pictures of. <laughs> Not our tits. If you want a private foot picture, that's fine. I will need payment. PayPal accepted. I have little toes. Okay. And high arches. Oh, and I can crinkle the bottom. Okay. <laughs> Not safe for work over here anymore. All right. All right. 
You don't have to go home. But you gotta get off social media. God damn. God, bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining the after party brought to you by the Sober Cates. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep the after party going, follow us on Instagram at the Sober Cates.